And good morning to you, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Genser on AM 1030 KBOI, the voice, daily in-depth news, conversation, and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. Happy Monday to you listening, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. We made it through uh, another weekend and uh, happy to be back in the saddle with you. It's our Monday morning news hour where we talk about the news, issues, and items that came in over the weekend since we left the studio on Friday and try to slide into the week a little bit easier uh, together. Before we get into it, as always, making the magic happen on the other side of the glass is Matt and Neil. I always say this, if uh, if it weren't for our listeners and if it weren't for Matt, we wouldn't have a show. I could sit in a closet and talk to myself, uh, but there wouldn't be a show without Matt and without you listening. So I'm tremendously thankful for all of you. Matt, good morning to you, sir. Hope it was a great weekend. It was. It was a quick weekend and here we are back at it and uh, I'll take care of things over here. You just work on the words, Zach. Sounds good. Well, words are hard on Monday, so uh, so you might have to, to help me out. But here to help me out as well, uh, at least in the first half, to get warmed up here on this Monday, uh, a sober conversation, but one that I'm very grateful to have. We'll jump in a second. Anya and Lyle uh, Thompson are with us this morning. Anya uh, was born in Ukraine and uh, has since come to the United States. But we wanted to talk uh, with someone who has family and friends and relatives and is watching what is happening there from here and try to make sense of that and hear it from a, a more firsthand uh, perspective. Uh, I also want to talk about some uh, Tucson climate change efforts on the other side of the bottom of the hour break. We'll talk some Tucson, talk some Tucson issues, and of course the phone lines are open 520-790-2040. That's the number Anya and Lyle used to call in this morning. Anya, Lyle, thank you for being on with us and for making some time here on Monday. How are you both? Good morning, Zach. Thank you so much for having us. Like you said, Monday is hard. You know, the words are hard and they are very slow. <laughs> That's okay. So, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do this. Lyle will keep us on track. We're both counting on Lyle, Anya. Uh, yeah. I'll do my best. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But I do want to start with you, Anna. We've got a couple segments, so we've got our time to, uh, to get through this. I know this is a very emotional time, so thank you for being willing uh, to share what's on your heart and mind at this time. But, Anya, let's, uh, let's set the table. You were... Uh, born and raised in Ukraine, correct? When did you When did you move to the states? Give us a little bit of your of your history. Uh, yeah, I actually was born and raised. Um, it was still Soviet Union. It was eighty four, so mid eighties, uh, mm-hmm. and I lived in Lviv. Um, so, if you guys probably heard about the city, that's where the majority of refugees are uh, going through right now in western Ukraine, and it's close to the border with Poland. Uh, my family and my friends are still there. And um, my last four years uh, before I moved to the United States, I, I had lived in Kiev, so my friends are there. Uh, and I moved to the United States uh, in 2010, that's when I met Lyle. Uh, and yeah, so I've lived in Tucson, Arizona ever since 2010, the end of 2010. So the timeline, Anya, on the Ukrainian side, the Soviet Union began to uh, disintegrate in 1990-91. The Ukrainian legislature uh, declared sovereignty in kind of mid-1990, and then independence um, um, in August 
1991. So you you were born, you lived, and probably have some memory of Ukraine, Lviv, uh, and the country, uh, both kind of in Soviet Union era and then after. Uh, what was that like? What has been the difference in your in your in your homeland, Anya, uh, between the Soviet Union and a free, independent, sovereign Ukraine? Uh, well, you know, and I was a little girl, so um, as a little girl, um, I ran happily on the streets of uh, my neighborhood, and uh, I, I perhaps I didn't really understand what really was going on. Um, you know, as long as I was home by the uh, sunset, um, so I could stay uh, out of trouble. Uh, you know, uh, my childhood was actually pretty happy. Um, but yeah, I actually do remember a few things from my childhood. Um, of course, uh, I like to talk um, about empty shelves uh, because in Soviet times, I don't, I don't remember a single time when the shelves were filled uh, with produce or food. So um, it, it was difficult for my parents, for my mom, who actually had to work overtime all the time, uh, trying to um, provide a little bit. Um, for our family and my grandpa- my grandparents um, worked very hard as well, and we had uh, a little vegetable farm. So actually, this is how we made it uh, because the farm could feed the whole family, and we actually uh, had a chance to sell produce to other people. So we always had a little bit of income uh, enough to make through the winter. And uh, you know, from what I remember, I never complained about being hungry. You know, we always had a meal on the table. Uh, maybe it wasn't uh, a luxury, uh, but we had enough. And we learned how to make things uh, from scratch um, because, since the stores were empty. And, you know, one memory that I, um, I, I, I kind of can't get rid of my head. Um, and my mom sometimes has to call me and, and calm me down. It's like, this is not how, you know, that store is gone. But I just remember how my mom would send me uh, to stand in the queue in long line um, at 4 p.m., uh, before the uh, bread store would open so I could get in and get that loaf of bread. And sometimes by the time you get to the store, sometimes it's gone as well, right? So uh, that's kind of one memory from my childhood. It's that one bread store in my neighborhood that I would stand in the line. And actually, uh, a few years ago, my mom, had, when I went back to Ukraine, my mom actually had to take me to uh, the, that same neighborhood. And she, she said, look, uh, that bread store is gone. <laughs> So I hope you can sleep now and you no longer see the line. <laughs> so, yeah. So, But you know what? As a child, I, I really, the empty shelves really didn't scare me. Um, I would assume that my parents had to uh, worry about this a little bit more. Uh, but as children, we, we grew up, we didn't even know better, you know? So, mm. yeah. Uh, Anya, I want to ask you uh, 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 this question, and then we'll maybe head to a break and talk about what are you what are you hearing from friends and family on the ground. But if I have my timeline right, you lived in Ukraine as an independent uh, nation for eighteen, nineteen, twenty years before you moved to the United States. Um, mm-hmm. What have been your impressions of uh, of Ukraine as an independent nation that really over the years has looked more west? than east yeah and you know i lived in west 
So uh, West is very different from East. Um, majority of my home city, Lviv, I mean, it's a very uh, patriotic city. We actually uh, like to say that uh, Kyiv is the uh, head of the country and Lviv is the heart of the mm. country. Uh, so all these great ideas, um, you know, the great patriotism really is coming from my home city. Um, so growing up in my home city, I got to see slightly different situation because, uh, for example, my home city, everyone spoke Ukrainian. You know, and then uh, by the time I moved to Kiev, everyone spoke Russian there, you know, but that was never a problem. Uh, everyone loved Ukrainian language and people uh, respected uh, Ukrainian language. And actually, um, the new friends that I made, they would always switch uh, to Ukrainian language because they, they were in awe. They just didn't know how to speak Ukrainian. Now, of course, these days we have majority of my friends already switched to Ukrainian language from Russian. Uh, but, you know, we never complained about anything. I mean, um, life was not easy if you would compare to American life. And now that I've lived here for the past 11 years, I, I, of course, can compare to many things. But, um, you know, we I had a job. You know, maybe uh, my salary was very little, uh, but I always made it, you know. And I, I, I always like to say even uh, if I had enough money only for two weeks and I needed to figure out how to live another two weeks, God always provided. You know, never been hungry, not even once. Um, and uh, among my friends, I've, I mean, many friends of mine moved out of Kiev, uh, out of the country, uh, to search for better jobs uh, because 90s were not easy. Um, it, really, those times were difficult uh, for for Ukrainians, and many families tried to immigrate uh, and search for better jobs outside. M- many fathers left their families, and um, like my my stepdad had to leave as well. And go um, to Czech Republic uh, to make money and send back to the family. So we hadn't seen him in years. So, um, yeah, so it, it was, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't complain, really. Um, this is the life that um, God gave me, and I'm really thankful for that kind of life. I probably would live it again if I had to. I want to take this on we're with Anya and Lyle Thompson this morning. If you just joined us, uh, Anya was born in uh, Ukraine uh, when it was part of the Soviet Union and then uh, a couple of decades as an independent uh, nation and has been in the U.S. for about 11 years now uh, moving here. We're going to go to our first break of the hour, our last break of this conversation. When we come back, uh, we're going to ask Anya and Lyle, what is it like watching what's going on from here in the U.S.? What are we hearing from friends and family on the ground? And what can we do listening today uh, to support? we got one more uh, segment with Anya and Lyle on the other side. Matt, take us away. We're going to visit some of our great sponsors making the magic happen here on Tipping Point. 1030 The Voice returns in just a minute. The next generation of talk. Tipping Point with Zach Genser. 1030 The Voice. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the nearly 60 startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges currently under construction, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. 
The economy is moving forward, and Arizona businesses are looking at new opportunities and challenges as we emerge from COVID-19. Leading companies are planning how to respond to new business and rebuild their teams and are looking for critical talent now. The right talent in key positions will make all the difference, and having a trusted and dedicated talent acquisition partner will give you an edge. Devin and her team at Talent Store will connect you with top talent while positively impacting time to hire, retention, and your employer brand. Learn more by visiting yourtalentstore.com and schedule time with Devin and her team. Hey guys, and yeah, I mean guys, if you're a man over the age of 30 and you want to accelerate fat loss, gain lean athletic muscle, and build habits to maintain results, and the sustainable strength system is for you. I'm hanging on to 30 pounds myself that I don't need, and in this new year, I signed up with Akil for this 90-day program that coaches you through reaching your fitness goals with a focus on intelligent programming, nutrition, injury prevention, and lifestyle. If you're ready for a three-month journey to help better your health and strength, go to sustainablestrengthsystem.com. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the nearly 60 startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges currently under construction, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is pleased to present the Patrick Martinez Look What You Created exhibition and his first solo museum exhibition in the American Southwest. Los Angeles-based artist Patrick Martinez explores sites of personal, civic, and cultural law sustained over recent years in America. Opening just this month through April 24th, you can go see it in the Castor Family Wing of Latin American Art. TucsonMuseumOfArt.org to get your tickets now. Located just two doors down from the Rialto Theater, Little Love Burger opened just last fall and is serving up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. They're open Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Follow their beat on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson and mention you heard about them on Tipping Point for 15% off your next order. Hi, this is Tom Sullivan. Join me weeknights from 7 to 10 for the Tom Sullivan Show on 1030 KVOI, The Voice. And we're back to Sun, all of Southern Arizona here. It's your Monday morning news hour on Tipping Point. You're listening on AM 1030 KVOI, The Voice. I'm your host, Zach Yenzer, with Anya and Lyle Thompson. Anya uh, was born in Ukraine and moved to uh, to Tucson, to Arizona, to the U.S. in 2000 and, uh, 2010. Uh, uh, maybe we pull Lyle in on this. Uh, Lyle, what, what are you hearing from friends and family on the ground? What is it like watching this moment from here in the United States? Yes, yeah, it's, it's certainly very emotional um, when you've got so many friends and, and family uh, that are over there. We were just in Ukraine, actually, in September, and uh, to be walking the streets of Kiev and to see the pictures coming out of uh, just the destruction there and to know that those are places that we just recently walked ourselves. It's pretty devastating. Uh, We're grateful that all of our family and friends thus far have managed to remain safe, but uh, a lot of them have had difficulties evacuating. A lot of them have been in some pretty serious situations. Uh, You know, people might remember a week ago when the the first oil depot got hit outside of Keys, 
and we had a friend who was sheltering in a residential building less than a thousand meters away from where that explosion happened they literally live in a property that's right next to that airfield so they're in a basement and just to hear the stories coming from them i mean it's, it's sad you know all we can do is really kind of pray for their safety and uh just from you know our end if there's any way we can send aid you know we were able to raise some money to, to get some money to a chaplain who's able to go around and help people but it's still i mean it's intense it's definitely intense now just for our listeners lyle I, you're the reason anya stayed for sure are you the reason anya is is here and you both are married and my listeners are um probably caught on to that but uh but but what's the connection lyle real quick yeah so we met at a conference i took some uh college students from my church to a conference in atlanta and we met actually in the airport uh of atlanta after that conference had ended and uh just had a, a connection that grew into a relationship and so later that year we got married and uh so yeah so she's she's the reason she stayed she never wanted to really move to america or even live in america and yet mm. uh this american won her heart so america <laughs> right well, good. I think it, I think it worked out really well for you both. Uh, in my opinion, it's so good to talk with you both. It's been a while since we saw each other, uh, Lyle. I know um, Anya mentioned that you're you're watching the, the the news, but also hearing from what's happening there locally. You know, we're sitting here and watching on cable news on Twitter. Uh, you know, we're seeing the long lines at train stations. We're seeing folks. Uh, who are using subway stations as bunkers. Right. In the last few days, we've seen the Russians uh, really go back on their word with regard to uh, humanitarian corridors. And we've seen a lot of people who are trying to evacuate not be able to do that as they were promised. Is there anything, Lyle, that you're hearing from direct sources there that that isn't getting to us as quickly by cable, by social media, in our emails? Is there anything that that you have a pulse on that that is worth sharing today? I don't know that there's too much uh, because the reality is a lot of the communication systems have been disrupted. Uh, so a lot of what we're hearing is just some folks' firsthand experience just as they were evacuating. You know, maybe they're in some situations that were... Uh, we had a friend that literally, as, as Keith started to come under fire on the, the first day, you know, she was crossing the major bridge uh, over the river in Keith and... You know, they're literally watching explosions happen within a few kilometers. So there's just this fear. What if one of these strikes the bridge while we're on it? Um, so we hear stories like that. But to, to be honest, uh, a lot of what is being reported in the media, especially for us, like we follow more foreign sources. Uh, the BBC has been pretty good. A lot of the stuff that Anya hears through Telegram that's being posted, you know, within an hour or two, we see it posted on, on BBC as well uh, to where that's been fairly uh, a good source of, of information but yeah I, I hate to say it it's just it, it's slow to get some of the news sometimes just because of the fact that cellular networks internet they're, they're having a lot of outages over there and so at times right. people have difficulty communicating what's going on right uh, there uh, before we leave each other today in about four or five minutes there you set up some ways that we can support you and and Ukraine in very tangible ways and I want our listeners to have that Anya kind of same question to you in closing, what is it like watching this happen in your home where you were born uh, from your home here in the United States? I can only imagine the emotion and, and pain, quite honestly, that you're feeling watching this on TV and Twitter. 
Uh, yeah, it is uh, very emotional. Um, it is devastating. I think the first two days when that happened, I felt um, helpless. Um, I think the most difficult part for me is to watch uh, being that far and feeling like you can't do anything about that. Uh, but then on the day third, I felt like, okay, uh, we can actually help. And uh, while we are here, we can do what we can, and we can do actually um, a lot. You know, so once that determination came, uh, I felt a new purpose. And um, it's still difficult, don't get me wrong. It's emotional throughout the day when I hear the news from my friends and uh, my family. It's hard to put it, uh, to, you know, keep it together. Uh, But we have a new purpose. We're trying to help in any way we can. So and Lyle can mention that a little little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Real quick before we go there, and that is how I want to close. Anya, you, you know, it looks like, uh, Putin's uh, major mistake um, was not realizing that the Ukrainian people want to be the Ukrainian people, uh, an independent, uh, pro-democratic Western nation with your own identity, your own language. Um, you knew that, Anya. Uh, he didn't. Is what I is what I'm making out of this. Uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 the the bravery of the people in Ukraine is just is is impressing the world, Anya. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you can verify that. It. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And just see how uh, even among our friends who stayed defending their cities and um, you know helping with whatever they can, um, simple people, but they are heroic in the actions that they do. Um, you know, they inspire me daily. And uh, every single person that I know that they are fighting for this for this freedom and um, um, we know we heard that um, right now you know like that phrase I don't know you guys probably already saw that that Ukraine is the capital of great people um, and right now Ukrainians with their heroism and their actions they um, they show the world what it means like what it feels like to have this kind of unity where people don't wait from the government to organize but they self-organize quickly within a few minutes like adoption takes place in 30 minutes now in Ukraine you know because uh, you know, we have this is like amazing stories that amazing. this is not I mean this is all devastating but we hear amazing stories of, of unity and, um, and, and yeah uh, but yeah people want freedom and they are all on the same page and um, we, we definitely know that Putin misunderstood that <laughs> yeah uh, we've got about a minute and a half uh, Lyle or Anya whoever whichever of you want to go what can we do to support you set up some ways to do that how can we support yeah we uh actually just launched a project with our church this weekend. I'm a pastor on staff at Elements City Church, and so we've got a website, uh, elementscitychurch.org slash Ukraine, that people can go to, and that's Elements, plural, uh, so elementscitychurch.org slash Ukraine. Uh, we're collecting some medical supplies, uh, so really if we can limit it to just the supplies that are mentioned on that page, they can be any brand, but it's just surgical dressings, uh, gauze rolls, self-adhering bandages, band-aids, uh, things like that, that we're going to basically vacuum seal into little packages. Um, we've got a friend in California who basically is going to set up a drop point so that FedEx and UPS can get this stuff mm-hmm. sent out to eastern Poland and taken into Ukraine to get into the hands of civilians uh, and soldiers, just everyone that needs uh, that type of uh, wound care. Wow. Uh, and also, if folks want to give financially, there's a link on that website where they can go uh, we've set up a special fund, so people just have to make sure they select that, that fund for Ukraine. Uh, but if they don't have time to get supplies but they want to support financially, uh, that's always an option as well. I love it. 
Anya Thompson, Lyle Thompson, uh, so good to speak with you this morning. Thanks for sharing your experience in ways that we can uh, help you serve. And uh, let's stay in touch. Thanks, Anya and Lyle. Thank you, Jack. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. God bless Ukraine. We'll be right back after bottom of the hour news and messages. More to go here on 1030 The Voice. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the nearly 60 startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges currently under construction, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. In 2021, FC Tucson was just getting started. We're building something special that all of Tucson can be proud of. Don't miss FC Tucson in action in 2022. Secure your season tickets now at fctucson.com or call 520-600-3095 and download the FC Tucson app in the App Store or Google Play to get updates on MLS preseason as FC Tucson welcomes the biggest teams in U.S. soccer in January and February. Hey you, if you're like a lot of people in Tucson, you'd love to look at a new home while interest rates are still low, but you hear prices have gone up, competition is fierce, and you'd just rather avoid the hassle. I'm Kathleen Jernigan with CNC Partners, and I want to tell you that you can make the move now. Our team is one of the most successful in greater Tucson, helping buyers get results in this hot market. Call 520-406-0233 and let us know you heard us on Tipping Point to schedule a no-strings-attached conversation to see if we can be on your team. Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is pleased to present the Patrick Martinez Look What You Created exhibition and his first solo museum exhibition in the American Southwest. Los Angeles-based artist Patrick Martinez explores sites of personal, civic, and cultural law sustained over recent years in America. Opening just this month through April 24th, you can go see it in the Castor Family Wing of Latin American Art. TucsonMuseumOfArt.org to get your tickets now. Helping you make better money decisions is what the Ramsey Show is all about. Today at 1 p.m. on 1030 The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona, live out of the Common Workspace studios. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on AM 1030, KVUI, The Voice, Daily In-Depth News, conversation and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. This segment is sponsored by Little Love Burger. They opened downtown just a few doors down from the Rialto Theater last fall. And they're doing great, and you should go visit them. Little Love Burger is serving up the juiciest burgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, local brews, and breakfast sandwiches. You can follow them on social media at Little Love Burger. And mention the next time you go in that you heard about them here on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on 1030 The Voice for 15, 1-5% off your next order. Uh, and I can tell you I've tried that. It works. They give it to you. The food is great. The team is great. Definitely go and uh, and check them out. Uh, Matt, a moving first half of the show, I thought, with uh, my friends Anya and Lyle. We haven't seen each other in a while, but we met through um, some, uh, some faith-based efforts. And I had known that uh, Anya was born in Ukraine and had since moved to the United States. But I thought 
that it would be really interesting if possible to get her perspective, to get their perspective, uh, watching from, from this side of the, uh, of the ocean, if you will, of what's going on there. And uh, I can't imagine, you know, having grown up you know, from the first six or seven years of my life in Ukraine as a part of the Soviet Union, and then up through 2010 in Ukraine as a sovereign, independent European nation, and watch what is happening right now. I don't think, Matt, I would have the strength Anya did. I don't know if I could get on a radio show and talk about it. I can't imagine um, powerful stuff from someone who's lived there, grew up there. I can't imagine. Well, you know, the human cost of all this, um, and that brings it right home, um, what's going on. I mean, we take for granted our safety and the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs thing, and that's a basic thing that we can just kind of go about our lives, right, in, in safety. So that just, I mean, what's going on there is uh, unfathomable to all of us. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it was a good good to hear their perspectives. And... Um, you know, you just, your heart goes out to the Ukrainian people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'll say this one thing and move on because I want to get to a completely different topic. But it's been, you know, I think the West didn't watch closely enough how revisionist uh, President Putin's history of Ukraine had been, you know. And hindsight is twenty twenty vision, and I don't say this this morning to uh, poke any certain person or administration or anybody in the eye. Um, but there were signs of this aggression, I think, that we can now look back on. And part of it came from, I, I remember after it was mentioned today, that there was, a I think, a 6,000-word essay or speech that Putin gave uh, relatively recently ago uh, talking about his version of the history of Ukraine. <laughs> and, you know, they've, they've talked about, it's been so interesting to hear uh, f- uh, foreign policy and national security folks from previous administrations say, look, we know Putin is a nationalist. We know that he has some of these visions of a greater Russia again, but he was always this very cagey actor. Y- you knew that you were dealing with a cagey strategic actor. And folks who've known him for 10, 20 years, even, and I'm, I mean people in the U.S. who worked with, uh, with Russia bilaterally said, something happened to that guy in the last two years in COVID, the isolation of COVID. Uh, many are saying, people way smarter than me, have caused him to become isolated and disconnected uh, from his own echo chamber. And I think he believed his 6,000 word essay um, that Ukraine um, was a poser nation, was never independent, uh, was always Russian, was always going to be Russian, and they needed him to come in and save them from themselves. And I think we see a guy who, for the majority of his political career, was smart enough uh, and connected enough to see through some of that. And that, that is completely gone and, and is, out, is out the window. And it's interesting to hear from people like Anya who were like, look, I was only six or seven, but I remember the Soviet Union. I remember the empty shelves. I remember, you know, having to have a garden to feed our family and make ends meet. And then I remember up through 2010, you know, uh, born in 1984. And then and then in the ni- 1990, Ukraine became independent. And for 20 years living in independent Ukraine, uh, speaking Ukrainian, 
uh, you know, again, Kiev is 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 the Russian pronunciation, Kiev and Lviv, and there's a Ukrainian identity and a passion for independence and a passion for freedom and a growth towards the West from the Orange Revolution in 2014. There were two Ukraines, and the Ukrainian people understand that and are fighting for something very different than what Putin thought they were. And we read this in the news and we see this on Twitter. And I think it's interesting to hear from a real-life person firsthand, born and raised in Lviv, Ukraine, moved to Kiev uh, later on in life. Of uh, this, was a, this is a sickening war by a sick man who has lost touch with reality. And there's just no other way around it. A sickening war by a sick man out of touch with reality. And I think we as the West would be smart to understand that we are not dealing with the Putin um, that we were five or ten years ago. And uh, there was on, I'll close with this, Matt. Maybe we go to our final break and do a long segment to close us out. You know, it's hard for me. I'm trying to stay off Twitter. Um, but this thing is being live streamed and live shot. And it is tragic to see, you know, these young couples running in with their 18-month-old um, who, you know, just got hit by uh, some bomb or whatever trying to save him, and, and they can't. And just the pain on these people's faces as humanitarian corridors that were supposed to be open uh, are no longer open. You know, and I've got three kids under five myself, and I think, what would it be like to be in this moment with them there? And what would that be like? And uh, I don't know if I have the strength for it. <laughs> um, you know, God, God bless those people. And we can only pray for, I think, a, a swift end to this. Because on a human side, right, whether you believe in prayer or not, I don't see the calculus shaping up. I see this, unfortunately, prolonged. Um, I, I, I don't see this as being fast. Uh, I see the United States intervening at the very, 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 very last second, if at all. Um, you know, maybe prayer is all we got at this point uh, to to make sure that the the world as we know it stays together because the um, it, it just seems like the odds are against uh, the people of Ukraine and the world as a whole. So a sobering moment, hard to watch. I'm trying to make sure that I have I put a diet on my news watching because it just gets really depressing after a while. Uh, let's go to our uh, break. Let me uh, let me do the radio thing. We'll adapt to the moment a little bit. Let's go to our final break. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, a couple of pieces in the papers this weekend. Don't know if it was planned or not. Around Tucson's climate change agenda. And there's a few tidbits in these pieces, one by the Star, one by the Sentinel, that got me thinking about some bigger things. I want to tell you about that. And, of course, we'll get your thoughts, 520-790-2040. The phone lines are open. Give us a call. We'll be right back on this Monday morning news hour on Tipping Point when we return. 1030 The Voice. Miss a show? Check out the podcast at kvoi.com. Why I love where I live. It's a brand and movement that began here in Tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live. Located in the open air Mercado San Agustin Annex, just west of downtown, it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food, drink, and other shopping options close by. Find gifts, toys, books, and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live. Visit them at the Annex off the I-10 at Cushing and Avenida del Convento. 
In 2021, FC Tucson was just getting started. We're building something special that all of Tucson can be proud of. Don't miss FC Tucson in action in 2022. Secure your season tickets now at fctucson.com or call 520-600-3095 and download the FC Tucson app in the App Store or Google Play to get updates on MLS preseason as FC Tucson welcomes the biggest teams in U.S. soccer in January and February. Hey you, if you're like a lot of people in Tucson, you'd love to look at a new home while interest rates are still low, but you hear prices have gone up, competition is fierce, and you'd just rather avoid the hassle. I'm Kathleen Jernigan with CNC Partners, and I want to tell you that you can make the move now. Our team is one of the most successful in greater Tucson, helping buyers get results in this hot market. Call 520-406-0233 and let us know you heard us on Tipping Point to schedule a no-strings-attached conversation to see if we can be on your team. Why I love where I live. It's a brand and movement that began here in Tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live. Located in the open air Mercado San Agustin Annex, just west of downtown, it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food, drink, and other shopping options close by. Find gifts, toys, books, and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live. Visit them at the Annex off the I-10 at Cushing and Avenida del Convento. Hey guys, and yeah, I mean guys, if you're a man over the age of 30 and you want to accelerate fat loss, gain lean athletic muscle, and build habits to maintain results, then the Sustainable Strength System is for you. I'm hanging on to 30 pounds myself that I don't need, and in this new year, I signed up with Akil for this 90-day program that coaches you through reaching your fitness goals with a focus on intelligent programming, nutrition, injury prevention, and lifestyle. If you're ready for a three-month journey to help better your health and strength, go to SustainableStrengthSystem.com. Impact of Southern Arizona serves 52 zip codes in Pima and Pinal counties and reinvests $2.5 million a year into the community. Join us for our Impact Expo on Tuesday, March 2nd, at the Tucson Chinese Cultural Center, where we'll be bringing a national speaker along with local partners and the community together to talk about how we can help people move from just getting by in a getting-ahead world to improving their life in our region. Go to impactsoaz.org for more information and to support Impact of Southern Arizona in improving lives and inspiring futures. This is Bill Buckmaster, the Monday political face-off coming up at noon on 1030 Tucson's Voice for Trusted News Talk. And we're back, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona, live here at the Common Workspace Studios. It's your Monday morning news hour here on Tipping Point with Zach Yen, starting AM 1030 KVY, The Voice. Uh, well, I want to go here. You can check out our podcast for what we've covered today. It's mostly been focused on Ukraine from a firsthand perspective, Anya and Lyle Thompson. But uh, there was something that came in over the weekend uh, since we left the show on Friday. And two pieces in two uh, Tucson newspapers, n- news platforms, uh, a day apart. Uh, the Tucson Sentinels, Blake Morlock, an opinion writer, wrote on March 4th, Tucson's 10-year climate change agenda will spend three years just coming up with a plan. And then on March 5th, uh, the Daily Star's Sam Kamak uh, wrote an article called Tucson Hires Pricey Firm to Craft Climate Plan, Earlier Efforts Stuck in Limbo, was the headline. I thought it was really interesting that 
I'm assuming independently, uh, two Tucson news platforms took on a climate change topic, a topic that in Tucson is one of the top two, top three, in fact, number one issue for uh, Tucson Mero y Quino Romero, uh, took on a, a questioning angle on Tucson's climate change plans. Uh, what seems to have spurred both on is, is that Tucson uh, hired a big consulting firm uh, uh, f- for $400,000 to develop a climate um, action plan to make the city more environmentally friendly, reach carbon neutrality by 2030, and become zero waste by 2050. And uh, both pieces seem to hint at, uh, look, we, we, we have this need that we've identified, and so far, uh, we just keep planning around it. Uh, council member Steve Kazachek is one council member questioning why Tucson would hire an expensive consultant, right, Sam Kamak, to identify more initiatives when earlier efforts like natural gas and glass reuse programs have yet to get off the ground. My sense is, why don't we start doing some of the things that we've already identified before we pay these guys $400,000 to come in and tell us what they think we ought to be doing? We're just operating at the pace of government, unquote, council member Steve Kazachek. A little further down in the piece written by Sam Kamak in the Daily Star. By the way, Sam Kamak is turning out to be a pit bull in the newsroom. Um, this is not the first time he's taken a hard look uh, at some Tucson issues, and we'll circle back in, on that in a minute. Councilmember Kazachek in this article uh, writes about Tucson's two-year-old glass reuse program that hasn't, quote, moved down the field, a renewable fuel effort that the city has, quote, done nothing about, and three other similar initiatives that he said have yet to get off the ground. Uh, Tucson's completed efforts include policies that incentivize electric cars and generate money for new stormwater infrastructure, though much of the city's climate action to date has involved public outreach and planning rather than executing specific initiatives. Natural gas recapture at the Los Reales Sustainability Campus, formerly known as a landfill, uh, still only exists, uh, consists of a conceptual framework. After more than 18 months, for example, some folks in the know say it's been more like 18 months. Tucson Million Trees, an initiative to plant that many trees by 2030, have inched along slowly. About 40,000 trees have been planted since April 2020, a rate that suggests Tucson won't reach its goal until the year 2068. Now, I think it's interesting. I want to I say this real quick on a positive side. 40,000 trees over two years is 20,000 trees per year. Uh, the Phoenix has only planted, I think, four to 5,000 a year for the past couple of years. But interestingly enough, their goal by 2030 wasn't a million trees, it's 100,000 trees, which I think is probably a much more doable number by by 2030. Uh, why am I bringing this up? Uh, I'm bringing this up because as Blake Morlock uh, points out in his piece, Tucson's 10-year climate change agenda will spend three years just coming up with a plan, um, is that I think that we that this points to a broader trend um, that is not just uh, climate action related. Uh, there is a trend um, that I am calling, and this is not original, but I like how it was said, uh, really governance by slogan, not governance by rapid intentional action. And uh, look, I like a good plan, um, but I think what Tucson needs right now is smart, incremental urgent change on a number of issues. 
I think we are we are starting to see, even with some of the good things happening, right? Um, you know, it's good to have a certain number of buses electrified. Again, our tree planting rate is much faster than our brother uh, or sister up to the north, right? Like we want to give credit um, where credit is due. But by and large, there is a boneyard, there is a graveyard of initiatives started but not completed and not moved. And a 10-year climate change agenda is going to spend just three years coming up with a plan. Now, this isn't to speak just to the climate change issue. There is a pattern here. Uh, I think about on the public safety side. A year and a half ago, the Tucson City Budget budgeted for eight social workers. We remember coming out of George Floyd, we wanted to rethink public safety. We wanted to have more uh, social and mental health workers uh, to accompany police officers uh, to situations where a social worker might be a better fit than a police officer. Those have been words, to my most current knowledge. It has been budgeted for a year and a half in the city of Tucson budget, but they have not been hired. Crime has not gone down. Alternative solutions have not gone up. I don't really care where you're at on the spectrum of public safety, uh, whether you are closer to Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter as a really bad stereotypical spectrum. Neither should be happy right now. I think about housing, where we have known that housing is a challenge. We developed great plans around housing. A mere handful of housing units over the last three years have been developed. I think about Reed Park, a process that took years to do and within a couple of months was yanked off the table. I, I don't know where that process is. I'm told it's progressing. I'm told there is a Barnum Hill alternative plan that is being developed. I wanna bring this up for all the right reasons out of love of community because this community it is too good to fail. It, it is, has too much potential, it is worth too much to not succeed. And I think what people like Blake Morlock and Sam K. Mack and, and other local writers are starting to uncover in this community is that we have a governance that is more slogan than action. And, and, and look, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say this in the most you know, in the most, you know, poke in the eye way. I just don't know how else to say it. Tucson's movement over the last three years is more in the wording of a press release than it is in action. And I think that Tucsonans need to know that. Not, not from a, you know, pr political perspective, not to, to bang heads over it, but to say, look, we are in a tipping point moment. Right? I don't call this show Tipping Point because it's a cute name. There's way too many tipping points out there. I'd be better served with a different name. I call it Tipping Point because I think we're in this five or ten year window. I passionately believe this. Where the decisions we make and the movement we make on a few key areas are going to shape the next 50 years in Tucson. And the window is closing. And I think a lot of people by the headlines will go, there's some, you know, there's some big things happening on these areas. And when you dig in under the surface... Very little has happened over the last three years. Now, as these two writers mentioned, right, right, these, these planning efforts are for the next 10 or 15 years. 
You know, and, and maybe some of the council is right on these areas, uh, whether it is public safety, whether it is housing, whether it is uh, transportation, whether it is climate change. Maybe the plans will bring everything together. And in year four, five, or six, we'll go, the $400,000 climate plan was worth it. The big consulting firm for the big plan was worth it. I'm willing to give that benefit of the doubt. But the track record thus far, right? I mentioned transportation. Tucson better hope to God that the year spent uh, uh, in the Regional Transportation Authority, that whole conversation, that better produce a passage of Proposition 411 in Tucson. Tucson better get 10 years of road funding out of that. If we don't, um, because we got backfooted on it, there will be hell to pay. And that hell is called 80% of Tucson's roads and neighborhood roads in poor and failing condition. That's the hell to pay. But I think it's important as Tucsonans, whether we voted or not for the folks on our diocese, city council, supervisor, whatever it is, I'm speaking to the patriotic citizenry duty of making sure that promises made are producing results delivered, right? If you voted for these individuals, uh, you need to know if you're getting what you were promised. And I've had this concern for a while, and I'm thankful that our local papers are starting to are starting to look into it more. I think when you look beneath the slogans and the words, there's just not a lot there. And that's a shame, right? Because the bigger picture, the bigger picture is that we have a really small window to tackle some of the biggest challenges that Tucson has faced in a very long time. There was an economic development plan that was just put together. I don't see much economic development happening. There's a move Tucson transportation plan that was put together. We're waiting over the next couple months to see if we can fund it. Plans and paper are good. Incremental, immediate, and urgent action is what I think we need now. Right? And the people that will know me best know that like, I had to grit my teeth a little bit through that because I'm a planner in my life. I, I like the vision. Ten years from now, where are we going? What are we doing? How does how does everything that we do kind of fit into that? Like I need that too. That's my personality. But what we need is incremental, immediate, urgent action now, or the window closes. And I think Tucson deserves to not be sloganed to death to the point where we are numb to the reality of what is happening. And look, let's not make this a moment for pot shots and for, you know, uh, you know, uh, immature conversation. Let's just put on our boots, get in the trenches and get to work and make sure that R&D and I and L and G and everything in between, that we're getting to work, that we're clear on what, what we need to be doing and get to work. Let's not sit on the sidelines of this. Two really good pieces, one written by Sam K. Mack in the Daily Star, uh, Blake Morlock for the Tucson Sentinel. Tucson's 10-year climate change agenda will spend three years just coming up with a plan. Check those out. Uh, two pieces, I'm going to assume independent of each other, uh, but within 24 hours, taking a bit of a harder look at Tucson's climate change plan and if it's delivering what was promised. It was 
December 2020 uh, when a uh, when movement started around this and where are we today and are we getting uh, what we were promised it's an important conversation to have that's it for us Hugh Hewitt's coming up next Bill Buckmaster and we'll be back 9 a.m. on Tuesday uh, with you for more local news and talk and conversation about the people ideas and issues shaping Tucson's future stay safe out there Tucson we'll see you on Tuesday Mm -hmm.